Can you hear me? Hey, y'all. Good to see you. My name is Keenan Stallings. Uh, my wife, Caitlin, and I are Covenant members, and we are also part of the Great Hills Community Group. Um, today, uh, I also serve on the prayer and production teams. And thank you, Travis. Um, today, I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, friend. What's up, well, family? How is it going? Uh, my name is Yusuf. I'm the college director here. Uh, and as usual, I'm very blessed to be up here with you all. Uh, and we actually have quite a bit to unpack today, so I'm going to go ahead and just jump uh, right in. If you're new or just joining us for the first time, uh, we've actually been in a series on the Holy Spirit. We're actually nearing the end of this series. Uh, and just personally, it's been really encouraging and enlightening to really kind of dig into the third person of uh, the Trinity. And so, so far in this series, we've talked about who the Holy Spirit is. Um, we've talked about his role in our lives. We've talked about what the fruit that he produces in our lives looks like. Um, but we've also cleared some misconceptions. We've talked about what he's not, right? And that he's not some mystical first force, but um, a person to be known. And last week, Tori brought the word and talked about what it looks like when the Holy Spirit comes and manifests the power of God among us. And today, I'm talking about the balance between or understanding the balance between God's word and God's spirit and how they actually both work together in perfect harmony. And yet, because this is a complex ministry, I've found that throughout my spiritual journey, I've been presented with the idea that having more of one means like neglecting the other, right? Like on one side, it feels like there's this kind of like pseudo scale that exists within Christianity that if you're like a Bible-loving expert, you really highly value the word of God, it must mean that you're kind of like, you don't really care about the Holy Spirit much, you're not really sensitive to him. And on the other side of that scale, you're highly sensitive to the spirit, you desire that his gifts would be manifested, desire that his power would be manifested, but being, you know, up here means that like you don't really value scripture as much, Right? I mean, why do you need scripture? The Holy Spirit resides inside of you. He speaks to you directly. And so any sort of like structure or schedule is actually just quenching the Holy Spirit, right? And so, so what I want to do today is actually show how the Spirit of God and the Word of God are actually not at odds with one another. We're going to see how they're perfectly unified even though they are distinctly unique, and not just unique uh, or unified in general, but unified in their purpose towards both the believer and the non-believer. That's what I want to look at today. And my hope is that after creating somewhat of a baseline from Scripture, that we'll be able to draw some practical tools on how we as a church body can live fully empowered by God's Word uh, or empowered by His Spirit and fully guided by His Word. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, I wrestled like you would not believe uh, putting the sermon together. Like the number of people that asked me like, hey, bro, are you going to be okay? Right? Like uh, it's, just, it's just been so heavy because this is easily the hardest sermon that I've, I've put together. And I know that's not saying much because I haven't preached um, very much, but it's just been really challenging because I desperately desire that we would be a church that models this well. 
that, that we would be an example of what it looks like to really fully be empowered by the Spirit. We're not taking away from the Spirit, but that we fully believe in the authority of Scripture and we value it highly, right? And I can feel even in here that, that a lot of us want to understand this mystery, right? We want to understand this uh, balance so that we can do it well. And, and yet it's not an exact science, right? And on top of that, there's literally a million verses that we can camp out at today. And I knew that if we were going to talk about this, I'd have to condense what feels like 100 verses into a few, knowing that we would barely scratch the surface on this. On top of that, I really wanted this to be practical. So I don't just want us to come here and just receive all this knowledge and know how to think rightly about this. My desire is that we'd actually have like practical tips and tools on how to do this well. And I want to do all of that in like 40 minutes. So it's overwhelming, to be completely honest with you. It is. It just seems impossible. And so I know that you hear this often from the pulpit, and, but, but really lean on each other this week in community groups. Really dive into what we talk about here. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit um, would take the seeds planted in this short amount of time and water them in your alone time with the Lord, uh, water them in your CG so that the seeds um, would produce the fruit of understanding that leads to deeper intimacy with Christ and deeper intimacy with one another. Okay, so that's my hope for today. With that, let's go ahead and jump in to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So like, here's the thing about this verse, right? It's very, it's very popular as it should be but especially amongst people like our church that have a high value for God's word, right? And, and rightfully so, it emphasizes the importance of scripture. And, and we just did a whole sermon series on this. So we really believe in the importance of scripture. We did a sermon series on being guided by the word, constructing our faith on the Bible. Uh, it was a dope series, uh, so go check it out if you haven't. But though this verse often emphasizes the importance of scripture, Oftentimes, people don't realize that God's Holy Spirit is also being talked about in this verse. The phrase breathed out by God is actually a single word in the Greek, and it means theanustos. It, it means, in the Greek, God-spirited. That's what it means. So the scripture literally reads, all of scripture is God-spirited. Okay? And this is the only time in the Bible that this word is actually used. You want to know why? Because Paul made it up on the spot, right? He's like, there. Now you can't mention the importance of Scripture without acknowledging the Holy Spirit as the author. And so he's so passionate about that that he literally ties the existence of the Word to the Holy Spirit's authorship, the influence of the Holy Spirit, by saying that all of Scripture is God's spirited. And there are all sorts of grammatical nuances to that, right? Like, Paul, is that even a word? Like, does that sentence even make sense? Is it a word, Paul? It is now, because it's the only way to really tie these two together and communicate that to try and separate the two is just not possible. Does that make sense? So though they are uniquely distinct, God's spirit, God's word, they are perfectly unified. You, you can't overemphasize one to the at the expense of the other. And so true balance is not 50% of one and 50% of both. It's, it's 100% of both, okay? 
But what happens when we're struggling to really, really maintain this balance here? What happens when we're struggling to uphold both to their full weight? What we'll do is we'll find passages, we'll find scriptures that justify our exaltation of one at the expense of the other, right? But what often what's so interesting, though, is the scriptures that we find often have both fully present. We just choose to either willfully or ignorantly miss the other, right? And so we just used an example in 2 Timothy. But what if, my, what if my imbalance swings the other way, right? Like 2 Timothy is popular amongst the Bible lovers, the, the Bible experts. But what if, I, what if my imbalance is the other way? Where I'm like, hey, this is all about the Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't really need the word. I got the Holy Spirit inside of me. What scriptures will I go to to justify my imbalance? Acts, where we see the Holy Spirit's work, we'll often go there, right? And so as Madison mentioned, today is Pentecost. And oftentimes, what do you think of when you hear the word Pentecost? Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit's holiday, right? So if you guys can just move it, like, Father, if you can move aside, this is the Holy Spirit's time to shine, yeah. right? <laughs> but once again, if you actually look closely, you'll see that God's word and God's spirit are actually intertwined here. That, that both are fully present and both make up the foundation of this holiday. You just need a little bit of historical context to get there. You see, on this day, thousands, a couple thousand years ago, you had tens of thousands of Jews gathering from surrounding nations coming to the place of Jerusalem. But they weren't gathering to celebrate Pentecost, right? The, the Pente uh, Pentecost is a celebration of God's Holy Spirit being poured out after people had gathered, okay? So the Holy Spirit didn't come until after people had gathered. So the question is, what were the Jews gathering to celebrate before the Holy Spirit arrived? They're coming to celebrate the Jewish holiday Shavuot or Feast of Weeks, and it's a celebration when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And so for Jews, they're coming to celebrate a holiday that, that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit at all. It's about the Word of God. Yet on that same day as they gather to celebrate the scriptures, God's Holy Spirit, his very own presence, comes in power and begins to fill the early disciples. We see that in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. I'll start in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And what we're seeing on this day is actually God is, God is fulfilling prophecy that he had mentioned in the scriptures. That, that one day God would write the law on, his, on the hearts of his people by giving them his Holy Spirit. We see that in Ezekiel 36, 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my laws. So once again, where we've tried to separate the two, right, where we've tried to overemphasize one at the expense of the other, we see that both God's word and his spirit are not only present, but working together. So there's actually a helpful analogy um, that Anthony and I came up with. And so if it doesn't work, you can, you can blame him. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, there's a, there's a helpful analogy that I think will help us kind of 
it, even though it's a mystery, I think it'll give us some guidance as to um, how these two things can't be separated even though they are uniquely um, distinct, right? And so here's what we're gonna do. It's not perfect, uh, and it's gonna involve everyone's uh, participation, but hopefully it makes enough sense, okay? Um, so uh, if you would, someone just uh, yell out a random word and make sure it's appropriate. <laughs> someone's hungry. Uh, okay, on the count of three, we are all going to say cheeseburger out loud, okay? All right. One, two, three. Cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. Okay. Now, I want you to try and say it out loud without your breath. Go. Okay, now I want you to try and say it without the word. Go. Like, don't hurt yourself. I heard someone choking back there, right? We don't have insurance for that. Uh, but the, the point is simple. You, you can't speak out loud without your breath, without your word, even though they're not the same, they're distinctly different, they work together, and with, without one, you can't, you can't perform the task of speaking out loud, right? And so, so which one is more important, your, your breath or your word when it comes to speaking, right? Like, how would you rank the two when it comes to speaking? You can't. Right, And so this is, this is the analogy I want us to burn into our brains when we talk about God's breath in the scriptures. God's breath is God's ruach, his spirit, and the word themselves, the scriptures themselves. We can't separate the two. It's a both and, not an either or. And so why is this important to understand? Because quite frankly, I just don't think we can live fully empowered by God's spirit and yet fully guided by his word unless we truly and deeply understand that the two aren't opposed to one another. They work together. God has chosen to reveal himself through the scriptures. If it wasn't for the scriptures, you would, you would have no idea what God is like. Does he love you? Does he know it? Does he see you, right? And yet, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, not only, not only would the scriptures not exist, but we wouldn't be able to understand God's revelation in them. See, Jesus says that it's the spirit who guides us into all truth. And Paul straight up says, listen, he essentially says, without the spirit of God in you, everything in the scriptures is, is gibberish. Like you just, you can't, there's no way you'll really understand unless the spirit opens your eyes. He says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 and 14. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned, right? You need the scriptures to know what God is like. You need the Spirit of God to understand the scriptures. Though they're uniquely different, they're perfectly unified. And this is especially important when it comes to hearing God's voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. That means God speaks to you. He speaks to you. But how do you know if the voice you're hearing is God's, your voice, right? A, a satanic influence, like how do you know? We understand that they're unified 
then you'll know that whatever you're hearing will never contradict Scripture if it's truly the Holy Spirit. Um, I remember my first year in college, um, I attended a freshman Bible study, and it was pretty cool for the most part because, as most of you know, I grew up Muslim, and so this was actually the first time being in, like, a room full of believers, navigating the Scriptures together. It was, it was awesome, right? Um, now, I can't remember what passage we were going through, what story we were talking about, but there's one thing I remember that I will never, ever, ever forget. And there was a guy talking about um, an encounter that he had. He was sharing his testimony about how he encountered the Holy Spirit and heard from God earlier that week, which sounds pretty cool until you heard what, <laughs> until you heard what he had to say. And he was like, bro, I was in my prayer closet, man. It was just me and God. And then all of a sudden, God just started slapping me. He was just slapping me up and down, slapping me all over my face. Right? And then he started calling me stupid. So he was just slapping me and calling me stupid. You're stupid. You're stupid. And you should have seen the look on, like, everyone's face. We were just, like, mortified at what this guy was saying, right? And so there was this awkward silence for, like, what felt like 10 minutes. And guess who broke the awkward silence? Yours truly. And I told him, I was like, yeah, bro, I don't think that was God, man. I just don't. I don't. I don't. And guess what he said to me? This is just unreal. It was God. It was, it was God. This dude seriously thinks he was in a slap boxing match with the Holy Spirit. And even more impressive, I was like, bro, you really think you could survive a slap from God, right? Like, you, God can slap you and you'll still live? I don't know what that was, but it wasn't God. And how do I know that? Because I read the Bible. And I know that in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no sort of shame. So any sort of, like, demoralizing put down is not God, right? It's not from him. And I wish homeboy would have known that with confidence. How do you discern God's voice? You read his word, Right? You want God's word to speak to you, you be sensitive to his Holy Spirit. It's the spirit who brings the scriptures to life. Because the spirit and the scriptures, they're not at odds with one another. They're perfectly unified. They're not just unified in general. They're unified in their purpose to point to the living word of God, Jesus himself. Right? Living word of God. What do, what do I mean by that? Well, according to Psalm 33... The living word of God partnered with the spirit of God at the beginning of time to create everything that, that's in the heavens and in the earth. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. That word breath is ruach or spirit. So God's word and God's spirit partnered together to create everything in existence. And if you go to the very first page of your Bible, you'll see by verse 3 that both of them are working together, the living word of God and the spirit of God. And so now how do I know that the living word of God is Jesus? Well, John tells us in John chapter 1 that the living word of God who created everything put on flesh and made, a, made his dwelling among us. He's talking about Jesus. And Jesus, during his earthly ministry, the living word of God walks around teaching and preaching that everything in the written word of God is to point to him. He says the written word of God is meant to point you to the living word of God, 
himself. And then after his crucifixion and resurrection, before he ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples, hey, the Spirit is going to do the exact same thing. John 15, but when the Helper comes, that is the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Scriptures and the Spirit share the same purpose to point people to Jesus. Together they do that, right? The question is why? Why is that, like why are they unified in that purpose? And the reason why I'm asking that is because I really believe that if we're going to completely do away with the idea that they're somehow at odds with one another, we have to understand why they do that. Why do they do that? Why are they pointing people to Jesus? Because in Christ, God is reconciling mankind to himself, right? And it's possible to miss that. It's possible to be a Bible expert, high value of the word, and miss its intended purpose. That's why Jesus tells the Pharisees, the the Bible experts of the time, you search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find eternal life. But it's the scriptures that point to me. And yet, you won't what? Come to me. God wants to be unified. God wants mankind to be unified with him the same way that the word of God and the spirit of God are unified with one another. Are are we getting this? That's why Pentecost is such a mind-blowing holiday. It's mind-blowing. If you were an ancient Israelite living during the time of Moses, where you got to see Moses receive the Ten Commandments from God, then you would be absolutely mind-blown if you got to see what was happening at Pentecost. You, like, you would be beside yourself. How, how do I know that? Because all throughout the Old Testament, everywhere God's presence was manifested, everywhere he was, you couldn't be. Right? Because God's holy and perfect presence is dangerous to unrighteous, unholy sinners like you and I. So that's why when he shows up to Moses in a burning bush, don't come any closer, Moses, because you're standing on holy ground. That's why there's a veil that separates the the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God dwells there from everywhere else. It's dangerous to you. So if you're an ancient Hebrew Israelite, you're you're getting to see Moses receive the Ten Commandments. It's not just like happy-go-lucky, oh, that's kind of cool. You're shaking in your boots. You're not up there with Moses when he's receiving the Ten Commandments, by the way. And I actually brought a picture to kind of show, is it up there? To show what it would be like, kind of. Right? Like, I don't know if Moses has, like, lasers coming from his eyes. I don't know what that is. Uh, Okay. So God manifests himself. His presence manifests as fire on Mount Sinai. And you and your people are at the base of the mountain shaking in your boots because Moses told you, hey, y'all, don't get too close to the mountain, else you might die from the power of God's glory. Right? So, okay, so now this is you getting to see God give Moses the Ten Commandments. Now imagine being a fly at the wall at Pentecost. This is what you would see. You would see that same glory that manifests its power as as fire on the mountain, now present within and on top of the disciples of Christ. Right? 
you wouldn't be like, oh my God, that's kind of cool, flaming tongues of fire, like God's presence, like wow, that's amazing, these guys must be filled with the Holy, like you would be mind blown. You would think you were dreaming because the power that was once dangerous to your existence, because you were unclean, is, is now a power that resides inside of you because you've been made pure by Christ's sacrifice. The unholy becoming holy, where there was once separation, there's now perfect union with God available through Christ and his sacrifice. It's mind-blowing that God, through his scriptures, through the Spirit, is pointing people to Jesus so that in Jesus they would find perfect union with God. Where his presence isn't dangerous to them, Jesus cleans them up so that they can host the very presence of God. Crazy, mind-blowing. For a second, I thought that was my daughter. <laughs> oh, but this is her first day in kids, so I know it's not her. Um, it's, it's been tough, you know, it's kind of hard when you, I don't know if, anyways, never mind. Let me. <clears throat> For this reason, the Spirit partners with the Scriptures that he, that he would bring the gospel to life, that you may see, believe, and be reconciled to him. And so for those of you who, who are believers now and, and didn't grow up in church, you likely heard the gospel or the Bible or the scriptures numerous times before it finally clicked for you and you decided to put your faith in Jesus. That's my story, right? And guess, guess who made it click for you? Holy Spirit. Um, I share this almost every week. Um, I've kind of shared a little bit, or every time I preach, I share a little bit of my testimony but at the core of my testimony is that is an experience where God's word comes to life through the Holy Spirit. Um, grew up Muslim, very devout Muslim, uh, very young age, decided, man, I, I just feel like I can't ever do enough to be good enough for God. I feel like there's just this separation from him that, that just prohibits me from really feeling his love, right? And so I began, became a bit of an agnostic like in fifth grade where I was like, man, I just don't feel like Allah really loves me. Um, and so became a bit of an agnostic, and then two years later, my best friend at the time came to know Jesus and start sharing the gospel with me. He's sharing scriptures, sharing the gospel, and I start asking a bunch of questions, and I kind of, over time, over like six months, understand kind of the basic message and, you know, nuances of Christianity, but the one thing I didn't understand was the cross. Like, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, what does that mean? Like, I don't really understand that. And so in eighth grade, uh, my friend Daniel, um, showed me passion of the Christ in attempts to get me to understand the cross. And at the end of that movie, he looks at me and is like, hey bro, do you feel any sort of like tugging on your heart? And I was like, tugging on my heart? <laughs> like man, you Christians got some weird language, right? It's weird. No, I don't feel a tugging on my heart. Maybe on my stomach, because I am squeamish, and there's a lot of blood in that movie, right? <laughs> and so that was it. I was like, listen, if I don't understand the, the cross and its significance, especially after watching this movie, I was like, whatever. I'll just be an agnostic, kind of stuck between Islam and Christianity. I just didn't care anymore. And then one night, God showed up to me. I was like, 2 a.m., I'm the only one up, everyone's asleep. Uh, I'm on Facebook wishing everyone a happy birthday, and... <laughs> It's just what you did for fun and in high school, I don't know. Um, and, and so I turn, off my, I turn off my computer, since it's the only source of light in the room, it's now pitch black, and I walk 
Well, I had my blanket with me, so I flap it over, and then I walk to my hallway, and I stop, and I feel like God speaks to me. Hey, do you love your family? And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, I'm dialoguing with this kind of inner voice in my head, knowing that these thoughts are not my thoughts. Yes, I love my family. Well, according to both Islam and Christianity, there's, there's this divide between them and, and God, which is true. It's just how you, how you reconnect with God is where they differ. In Islam, it's works. Just do more good than bad. In Christianity, there's nothing you can do. It has to be given by God, his grace. And so, so he tells me, according to both of them, both of these religions, they're, they're separate from God initially. Yet you love them, right? Would you go through everything you saw in that movie two years ago so that they wouldn't have to live or die disconnected from me? And then all of a sudden, it's like this movie I thought I didn't care about, just vivid images, as if I had just watched it. Would you be brutally tortured? Would you be marred beyond recognition, the scripture says? Would you, would you have your hands and feet pierced, your bones dislocated? Would you have a crown of thorns beaten into your head? You love them that much. Would you, would you go through that for them? And I thought to myself, I had to be honest. I love my family, but I don't know if I could do that for them. And that's when it clicked for me, that, that Christ's love is shown on the cross, that my sin demands payment. And the only payment he was willing to give it that he died, cleansed me, took my sins away so that God and I could be in perfect relationship. Hallelujah indeed. See, the gospel seeds that Daniel had planted, the Holy Spirit used them, the scriptures, the movie, and, and it, he, he watered those seeds and produced the fruits of salvation in my life. The scripture and the spirit working together. Now, if I can be honest, have I heard from God in that way since I've come to Christ? No, I haven't, right? I haven't. Uh, he speaks to me through other people sometimes, but I, I know with certainty that he's spoken to me time and time again through his word, <laughs> through his scriptures. That's where he speaks most clearly and most directly. And so what about after we're unified with Christ, right? Once we are unified with, with God through Christ and we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's role then becomes to, to grow our affections for Christ and mold us more into his image. Guess how he does that? The scriptures, right? Like, <laughs> they work together for that purpose. The, the Spirit speaks through the scriptures. He brings the scriptures to life in a way that leads to salvation for the non-believer and transformation for the believer. Isn't that true for you if you're in Christ? Like whether you know it or not, it's God's scripture and his spirit that, that work together to speak to you, right? Like there are probably times that even though you've read a verse a million times, just one day all of a sudden it hits different, right? And so you're like, oh my gosh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son Right? That whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. I mean, he really loves us. I'm not the only one, right? I read that, I've read that verse a million times. And now all of a sudden you throw on How He Loves by David Crowder, and it, you've heard that a million times, but it just hits different now. You're just like, oh, how he loves. You're just undone as if it's the first time you've heard it. Guess who's doing that? That's the Holy Spirit. 
What's happening there? The Holy Spirit bringing his very own words to life and speaking that life into your soul. The Spirit and the Word working together. Like to, oh, you know what, I'm just, I'm more of a words guy. The Holy Spirit can kind of take the back seat. It just doesn't work that way. Oh, well, no, I'm, listen, I've got his spirit. I don't need his word. It doesn't work that way. The more you spend time with God, hearing his word and putting it into practice, you'll image Christ. And that's practically what we see through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see uh, in the rest of our passage in 2 Timothy. Both the scriptures and the spirit at work together to produce, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what can we say? Spirit, scriptures, they're not at odds. They're unified in their purpose to point people to Christ so that the non-believer would receive Christ, becoming one with God, and so that the believer would continually be transformed into Christ's image. I hope this is repetitive. I did that on purpose, by the way, right? So that anytime we are tempted to just kind of play that game, the scale game, that we would realize, hey, just like my words and my breath, they, they can't be separated, right? So in light of this, what are some practical ways for us to live fully empowered by the Spirit, fully guided by God's Word? Sometimes it's not as complex as it sounds. I've already talked about that, that we become a people that are devoted to God's Word. But understand, it's the Holy Spirit that brings those words to life. And so an easy and constant prayer in all things can be, Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, fill me, Right? Holy Spirit is personal. He speaks. Ask him to speak to you. Ask him to bring Bible verses to your mind at the right time. But you need to know what those Bible verses are. You've got to be in the word. Ask him to awaken your spirit, to speak to you during worship. He does that. He speaks through the lyrics. And remember that the purpose is not just unity with God, but as Tori mentioned last week, unity with one another. And so what does that mean? That we don't seek to live empowered by the spirit in isolation. The gifts from the Spirit are given for the, for the building up of the body. So explore your gifts in community. Embark on this journey in community. Find time to be alone with God in his word. Find time to be in the word with your community. What about when you receive a word from someone or get a word for someone else that isn't opposed in Scripture but also isn't explicitly mentioned in Scripture? What about those moments? I believe they happen. Tori just talked about last week a little bit of my story and how a couple years ago, uh, someone prophesied over me that he felt like God was telling him that I was to be a pastor, be in full-time ministry. At the time I was an engineer, fast forward two years later, here I am at the well. I believe that was from God. I know people that, that feel like they heard from God who they were gonna marry and it happened. I also know people that heard from God, who they think, they were, you know, thought they heard from God, who they were going to marry, and they were wrong. And in one case in particular, told the other person, and it didn't end well, right? It was just weird for everyone. So what do we do? Do we downplay the Holy Spirit's ability to speak to us in that case? I don't think so. Because in Acts 11, Paul receives a prophetic word from a, from a guy named Agabus, and it comes true. Yet that prophetic word was nowhere in the Old Testament, right? And so what do we do here? What do we do? Just few quick practicals. 
when we hear a word for someone else, or we think we hear a word from someone else, or we receive a word from somewhere else, there's a few quick practical tips. First thing, even if it's not explicitly mentioned or opposed in Scripture, take it to Scripture anyways, right? That you would, that you would study the character of God and, and realize, hey, does this align with the very character of God? But Paul gives us more insights that we can pull from in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 3. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one that prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And so Paul, the first thing he says is pursue love, right? Paul's like, listen, you, you, you prophesy and don't love, you missed it. And remember that Jesus' definition of love is self-sacrificial. So practically, if you're hearing a word from someone, you have to be honest, right? Are there any ways that you selfishly benefit from what, what you think you might be hearing from God? Hey, bro, talk to God. He said uh, you should buy me a house in Austin, right? Uh, on Ladybird Lake, you know, with a nice view, and preferably next week I'm looking at, oh, right? Are you sure that's God? Are you? Do you love the person you're, you're, you feel like you're hearing a word for? Or are you trying to use them, right? Love filters all things. Paul then goes on to say that prophesy, prophecy should come with upbuilding and encouragement. Uh, God told me you're a bad roommate because you, you never do your dishes and blah, blah, blah. That's not from God, right? It should be encouraging, upbuilding. And if you hear something that someone feels like they're hearing from the Lord and it, it's not encouraging or upbuilding, reject it. It's not from God. It's easy. Boom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see in part and prophesy in part, which means you could be wrong about what you think you might be hearing. We see in part, we prophesy in part. What that means is there should be a humility. When you think you're hearing from God, it should be peppered with, if you feel like you have a word from God to share some, it should be peppered with, hey bro, this is what I think I might be hearing. I, I feel like I might be hearing this from the Lord, right? And, and there should be an invitation to test it. <laughs> hey, take this to scripture, take it to community, pray about this. It's just what I feel like I might be hearing. Not a, hey, thus says the Lord. We prophesy in part. Because we could be wrong. So scripture, humility, love, encouragement, community, and more are all involved in giving and receiving words from the Lord as we seek to be a community that lives empowered by the spirit and guided by God's word. Last thing I'll say is this. There are about 39 books in the Old Testament. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he quoted from 24 of them. And so we know that we, he knew God's written word. He was guided by the word. He wasn't just guided by the scriptures. He actually fulfilled them. And every miracle he performed in his earthly ministry was, was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was perfect in this. And though he was perfect, still died an unjust death. Yet so much was he guided by the word that even in his last breath, the last thing he says on the cross, he's quoting scripture. Luke 23, 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. See, Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 31, 5. But what's interesting is he only quotes the first part of it, the first part of that verse. 
Yet the same spirit that empowered him during his ministry would be the same spirit to raise him back to life three days later. So that any of us who put our faith in Jesus would not only receive the very presence of God within us, but where we can finish the second part of that verse with confidence, knowing that it's true about us. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Let us not quench the spirit that Christ died to give us access to. Would we walk in the power of the spirit guided by his word, would we be a, a community that seeks to be collectively redeemed, that we know our identity, <laughs> that, that we are perfectly one with the Father, perfectly one with one another, and so would we walk guided by the word, empowered by his spirit together? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the miracle that they are. That we can know you and have a relationship with you because you have revealed yourself to us through them. You've spoken clearly to us through your word. And you'll continue to speak life into our souls through your spirit and your word, God. And so forgive us for times where we've We've overemphasized one at the expense of the other. And rather than being frustrated at the mystery of how they work together, would we be fascinated, God? That the infinite God of the universe has made a way for us to be one with him and one with one another through the unified work of the scripture and the spirit. Would we forever marvel at the absolute miracle that that is? In Jesus' name. Amen.